Hey everybody, this is Beverly Bischoff on Main Event Status Sold Out. I know we got the part now that y'all been waiting for, Miss Main Event Status Radio. (laughs) Well, we've seen all the contestants talk about themselves, but there's one real fine-looking lady who's still looking to get this crown of main event status, Miss Main Event Status. And here she is. This is Dirty Dog Bertha. Dirty Dog Bertha, tell us about yourself and why you should be Miss Main Event Status Radio. Well, I'm from down the road in Ames, Iowa. And I should be Miss Main Event Status Radio Daddy-O, Mr. Beverly Bischoff, because I'm the most prettiest I'm the most intelligent, and most of all, I'm the sexiest of the people and the ladies in the trailer park I come from, Daddy-O Beverly Bischoff. So what's your thoughts about that? Oh, 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 I think we found a winner, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. The Cho-Cho-Chosen One. You're listening to Main Event Status Radio. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We gonna finish. With Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. What is the fate of WCW? And I own WCW. The Dirty Dog Darcy. You wanna fight, man? You wanna fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. And Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Now let's get into the podcast. Recorded live in Atlanta, Georgia, Gorilla. Recorded live in the CNN Towers in this week in Mr. Turner's old office, Jack. I am am the Dirty Dog Ventura of Main Event Status Radio. Joining me this week is is the one and only Mr. Beverly Shivani. What's happening, Mr. Beverly? I'm feeling good, man. The old papers are still here. I'm looking at how they lost like twenty trillion dollars over the years. Which, if you want to lose twenty trillion dollars, I'm sure you and I'd be more than happy to split it fifty-fifty. You got it, brother. If he wants to throw me some money, I certainly will take that. Because both of us can pay off our student loans and whatever other bills we have. We can retire early and do this thing on a permanent basis. <laughs> make, make it our permanent job. Yes. Which I, I like. So we are here in 1997, WCW. Yes. We closed out 1996 with Roddy Piper defeating Hulk Hogan in Star Kid for nothing. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> for the championship of nothing. Yes, for nothing. <laughs> Which makes me laugh, too, because yeah, we are in the death of WCW series by Brian Alvarez and Artie Reynolds, part two of The Rise. And, well, I guess part two is The Rise. And we're in chapter three, 1997, 
the waiting game. Do you have any memories of 1997 professional wrestling, Mr. Beverly Hills? Um, yeah, 1997, I was still watching just worldwide and I guess shock on Saturday night a lot that we didn't have cable yet, but I was still very, very big into wrestling, very uh, in tune that way. But I probably, if we're talking WCW, I probably know a lot more about like the jobbers. I probably saw a lot more 1997 Mark Starr matches than Hulk Hogan matches, but you know, say love you. Well, well, some uh, matches of Mike Enos, Enos, whatever. Def- definitely saw Mike Enos matches, uh, John Nord, uh, Glacier, a lot of, lot of those guys. Not as much of the main eventers, though. What about Ice Train Gorilla? Oh, heck yeah. Yes, definitely. Dude, Ice Train was legitimately one of my most favorite wrestlers in the day. I and when see you now all the listeners know my love of like big fat guy wrestlers <laughs> when Ice Train and Scott Norton combined to form the beautiful um team of fire and ice that was like mind blown two big fat bruiser guys in one tag team so when they broke up and Scott Norton joined NWO distraught you know what else distraughts me, Mr. Beverly Hills? What distraughts you? Oh, it seems like fire and ice moves as quick as a glacier on wrath. <laughs> fire and ice, that's like, that's me and you. We're, we're the equivalent. Dog and hills. Dog and hills. <laughs> Hilly Instead d- of fire and ice, though, we're like... Hilly dogs? No, 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 listen. <laughs> We're like uh, warmth and like s- slightly cold. <laughs> warmth and cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll take that, Gorilla. What are your 1997 memories? Uh, I was just thinking about that. I really don't remember much from 97. Okay. Uh, I do remember the early days of the NWO on, w- on Monday Nitro. I okay. do remember the the few Nitro tapings of the MGM Grand, I believe it was. It was like the outdoor Nitro, Nitros and all that. I think this okay. has been in 96. Because like, I do remember watching live when it happened when Nash grabbed Rey Mysterio out, outside the parking oh. lot and threw him into the trailer. Sure. So I know that's... That's way before '97. Yeah, but I really don't remember much from either Raw or Nitro because I did have cable at that time. Okay. I do remember trying to stay up as late as I can in on Saturday nights to watch Shotgun Saturday Night. Shotgun's taped it on the old VHS machine for you youngsters. Because I do remember, uh, like, what was it like the outgoing slide of? Shotgun Saturday night when they're going to a commercial. Since everybody knows I love the outgoing slides for on corner breaks, <laughs> that right. I remember like seeing some, I assume some stripper dancing and all that. The only thing you you see on the shot was pretty much from like her shoulders down to like her upper thighs or something. Well, she's like that. holding a gun. 
or something like that. That's the only thing I, I really remember from Shotgun Saturday Night. <laughs> Which I have to, Mr. Beverly Hills. Open up a can of mid event status, 1997 mil, yo, daddy, yo. Amazing. I hope, I wish it was from 1997. If it was from 1997, I don't know if I would open it <laughs> or drink it. <laughs> So we might as well get into the podcast, get into chapter three of 1997, The Waiting Game. You got it. And I will start out with uh, my first my first note. Uh, this is in due, due to the NWO storyline from page 101. No longer was WCW beneath Vince McMahon's mighty World Wrestling Federation. No, now they were on more or less equal ground. And having come up with it, coming up uh, this far, there was no way they were trend back. Guess I want to kind of get uh, start out with with that. You know how we talked about in the last podcast in '96 that Smack Bischoff and WCW struck the struck the iron when it was hot with the NWO. Yeah. And granted, you know, like we were joking around earlier, you know, a couple minutes ago that. Lazy dropped the ball with the main event of Star K96. They seem like things were starting to do. If we would have known in a year, things would be possibly better, at least lead up to Star K97. I guess we could, you know, kind of give them the benefit of the doubt that Star K96 kind of sucked. Yeah. Well, and like relating to that quote, they're, they're definitely in the driver's seat, which is uh, for the first time in its entire history the, that fact is true um they had always been running from behind going back to the turner purchase in 1989 so um this is a very different position and to be honest i don't know if they knew what to do with it it's always tough to be in front just in general in life in a competition it's always tough to be leading it's a lot easier to to try to overtake somebody than to stay out in front. And I think that's um, an area where WCW really kind of slipped up is because they were, they didn't quite know how to run in the lead. Well, I kind of like what you're saying too, that there's, they were so used to being number two. They're so used to chasing the mighty WWF. Well, and, and just, you know, trying to get ahead of them. Yeah. Trying to uh, yeah get ahead of them and all that. And, you know, with following their footsteps, and once, yeah, like you said, they, they bypassed WWF and the race, like, okay, now what? Yeah, yeah. So, because, like, and it's tough to, it's tough to do things different when, when you're in the front, because you go, well, what got us to the front? And this is what we, what I talked about last week, is just like, well, you know, dance with the girl that brought you, right? So they, they just kind of repeat the thing that, made their their initial leap successful and ultimately I think that's kind of their downfall. I know, you know, we we talked about last week about how it seemed like once they let one or two jobbers in the NWO half the half the half the company's wrestlers join the NWO. Right. And that definitely definitely watered it down a lot. Sure. Sure and we'll get even more to that in this week's episode. Right? Yeah, then uh, 
yeah, at the beginning of the chapter, how each chapter starts out with a quote, and for yep. chapter three, it started out with a quote from Terry Taylor, and yep. talked about Hogan's uh, creative control. I guess I'll let you talk yeah, about that. Yeah, he said that he's he was basically saying that like it's a really good thing that. Hulk Hogan has control over everything he does because he goes, um, you know, he helps us out. We need help. And then I wrote, I just said to you, is it ever good, ever a good idea for a person to be in charge of their own um, character, their own storyline? What do you think? I know I'll get more in depth about that later in the podcast, but I guess to as much creative control as Hogan had, as we talked about last week in 96, I can understand, you know, putting an input for your character and for your storylines and all that. But I think having the ultimate kibosh on, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not going to lose this guy, brother, or I'm going to hold on to the <laughs> WCW title for the next three months while not being on pay-per-view, brother. I find that to be a little <laughs> silly. Yeah, sure. What's yeah, I, I would agree with you. Okay. Yeah. I think like it always has to be an editor, and I can't imagine that somebody just does what they want. Like it's okay to, you know, like I right, like everybody knows I'm a teacher, right? So I couldn't imagine me being able to do whatever I want without a principal, you know. And those schools that don't have principals, are like, oh god, how do they run? Like I like having freedom, and I think everybody does. And I would say that like to relate that to wrestling i'm sure some wrestlers feel very kind of like controlled with scripted promos and and things like that so an amount of independence is important but total freedom total control i think you end up getting into troubles which is what i think ends up being an issue with hogan which you know kind of tied it you tied it in with you being a teacher because I yeah. can kind of relate to me working in a warehouse, so I yeah. get put in cer- certain spots, and and pretty much, yeah, my supervisor pretty much lets me decide in ways what works best for me to do do my best possible job at that spot. Right. You know, if he feels like I'm struggling a little bit, he'll come. He would, if he not- notices, he'll come over and give me you know his thoughts on a, what I could do to possibly make things go a little bit smoother. And right, uh-huh. like like you said, if you know, like for me, if we everybody's given their freedom to pick whatever spot they want, we're all just going to sit in the break room and do nothing and <laughs> expect the work to get done by itself. And that's not yeah, going to happen. Exactly. You're all going to do the one thing that you really like to do or whatever, and the the crappy jobs will never be done. Yeah, since everybody would be pretty much doing the same spot or everybody be in groups of spots, and yeah, nothing's going to get done since nobody wants to do the... The, yeah, the cruddier jobs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, you know, and that's basically what happened. Okay, yeah, so so that's that. Okay, I'll get to my next note. Uh, quote from... Okay. All page, about the world order. Yes. I'm just, I'm just setting up the quote. Sorry. Yeah, quote from <laughs> pages 101 to 102. Although the New World Order was a strong contingent, the fact remained that there were a bunch of bad guys. And in wrestling... Bad, bad guys are only draws if they have a strong baby face to confront them. Although the rest of WCW was often made out as a bunch of buffoons, one guy had not yet been booked to look like a total idiot. Stan. 
the man who had been the franchise of the company from almost the moment he became WCW, Stin was viewed by the, by fans as the one guy within WCW who could conceivably compete or compete with compete with and defeat these invaders. I guess I you know we were kind of talking about that you know last week with Stin, you know Stin in the War Games and all that. How everybody thought Stin joined the NWO even though they had a fake Stin. I guess I want to get your thoughts on how it seemed like that's one guy they didn't poop on and then he was talking about Stan. Yeah. Yep. Well, he, yep. He consistently looks strong. And, um, you know, I thought that through the year 97, he consistently looks strong and he consistently is, uh, you know, booked very well and they don't beat down sting at all in 97. You know, he's, he's kept on top. And I just thought, the one thing that they were able to do in 97 that was successful was the booking scene. I thought um, really everything about it. Cause I, I remember again, between the ice train matches and the John Nord matches, they would show clips from nitro. So I, I remember seeing it and, and I remember being like, gosh, you know, I can't wait for sting to finally take on Hogan and beat him. And I think just like, that's what you want you know, ultimately you want fans to be just really, you know, just needing to see that. Uh, and then, you know, they pay for it. So I think they really did well with the, uh, with sting character and the sting storyline. Yeah. Cause I felt like one thing that I liked I was not having Stan, well, Stan didn't have a match punch from right around War Games to a following yep. year's Dark Kid, and I guess that's one thing I, I appreciated, that they they didn't use Stan for over a year to wrestle a match. And, and that takes some serious balls. They, yeah. they said in the chapter that, you know, wrestling is, is very much like an industry, and it's totally true. We look at nowadays, all you know, all through history, where it would be better to hold off, and they just can't because they need to get that hit of money or a big um, rating or a big buy rate or whatever. But holding off is ultimately what I think made this storyline so great. So yeah. Yeah, cause I know we've talked about it before on different podcasts about WWE, but I felt like, you know, the ways it would be awesome if WWE could, or any other wrestling promotion, could look back at things like Stan and, the, uh, Stan and how he was booked. Um, I know in the book that you also talked about, you know, if you go, if you approach shoot, you know, hot shot things and want, you know, Tuesday mornings look at their ratings and mm-hmm. it's not where you, where you like, then try to hot shot again. That, that isn't always going to work, and we it talked about more before. waters down the product. Yeah, we talked about before <laughs> with uh, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Mega Powers storyline between WrestleMania four and five, and how that was a great year build. I feel like this would probably be the other great year long build for storyline wise in pro right. wrestling, which I find it kind of funny that deals with Hulk Hogan. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It does, but he had the ultimate editor. Then uh, I I know you kind of said it too. It it was very different how they built Stan up on having him pretty hide out in the rafters and not say a word. Yes. Yep. Which I felt felt like was, was very unique. 
Because I don't really... Do you remember any other main event stars besides Sting that barely said anything? Maybe The Undertaker? Yeah. And not with not one without a manager. He's one of the few who didn't talk with without someone talking for them. One of the very few. Can you think of any of that? I was just trying to think about that. Uh, and I, I guess maybe Undertaker post Paul Bear turning on, on him, but Taker talked more than he did before. So I guess I really can't include Undertaker on that. But I guess I really, offhand, I really can't think of anybody. Kane maybe for a bit. Yeah, for a bit maybe. Yeah, but, but I don't feel like that was really as good the, as Dean was though. Oh no! Yeah, no, definitely not. But yeah, I can't think of anybody else. No, me neither. Okay, I guess I go to my next quote from page 105. Was the sold-out experiment a success? Any word? Well, let's let's build that up first. You just said sold-out. Well, what is sold-out? Yeah, sold-out yeah. was the January pay-per-view in 1997, built up as an NWO-only pay-per-view. So you read the chapter, but not everybody else read the chapter. Yes. They're not sold-out. I'm sorry. Out. I'm sorry. Yeah, please. So, so it's... Uh, Built up as NWO is putting on this pay-per-view on their own. It's not a WCW pay-per-view. It's NWO pay-per-view. It's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's, uh, yeah, they come in on garbage cans. Or not, not garbage cans, garbage trucks. The NWO does. It's insane. Um, okay, now go ahead. Okay. Was sold out experiment was the sold out experiment a success? In a word, no. The buy rate was a mere zero point four seven, the lowest since the start of the New World Order angle. The show took place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, before a crowd of around five thousand people. Yet yet another sellout, but since the building was so small, the take was under seventy or say seventy thousand dollars and a major disappointment. In short, Arthur was was about half of what the previous previous pay per view Starcade nineteen ninety six had generated. I guess I want to bring that up is I guess in ways everything can't always be a success. I guess you kinda of had to try something out and sold out was a failed tryout, but I say threw something out there to see if it worked or not. I felt like I know you're kind of giving me the facial expression, like, what am I talking about? But I agree. What are you talking about? I feel I feel like that at least WCW tried at so, tried something out, and if you don't try something, the answer is always no. You know, it's always going to be, you know, if you don't try to go up to bat and swing, it's always going to be a strike. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, but this is like going up with a rake. <laughs> there's a difference in swinging and just doing something stupid. This had no chance. This is, I don't know. I, yeah, it's hindsight, but this had no chance of succeeding. Cause it's always just putting the, the heels over the whole time. This is, it was bad and okay. it was, tor- how it was terribly you- executed too. Okay. How would, if, if you're able to change it up, how do you change it up? Not do it. Okay. <laughs> if, if if you were going to do it, how would you change it out? If I were? I don't know. I just, I wouldn't. 
There, it's it's a bad idea. It's yeah. heels shouldn't run a show. They shouldn't. It's and the fact that later in the chapter they talked about the fact that there might be an NWO only show. That's terrible too because you can't. The bad guys can't be the ones who are running things unless if there's a good guy to beat them. And that's the real problem with sold out is that none of the good guys ever won or ever won meaningfully and like with authority. I guess to foreshadow the rise and fall of the NWO, what do you feel like that's a prelude to how the NWO would turn out? Oh yeah. Totally. I guess my next question, which I guess pretty much answered was, do you feel like them bashing WCW and their stars during that, during that pay-per-view hurt the pay-per-view itself? Yes, completely. That's the whole problem. And that's why there shouldn't have been one is because all of it is just like bagging on WCW the whole time and the good guys the whole time. I guess what's your also thoughts on NWO being a tweener? Okay, yeah. I I just said get me going on tweet on tweener groups in general. And I when people said like the reason why the reason why the attitude era was successful or whatever was because of tweeners, I think that's totally bull. Because I think like and I think the concept of tweener is stupid too. Like when people are like, oh, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin was a tweener. No, he wasn't. He was just a face who acted in a different way. And at the end of the day, he still did things that the crowd liked and did things that they wanted. He wasn't doing thing. He wasn't playing the middle. Just the whole thing kind of switch, kind of moved. The whole spectrum kind of moved toward the darker end. You know, instead of being. Uh, you know, the bubblegummy baby face, he was just, you know, swearing and talking crap. It's not like he was doing anything heelish. And I hate the idea that the NWO was like moving the other way and were doing things that was cool, like hosting their own show. Okay, like, I guess I want to get your thoughts. I know you kind of brought Steve Austin and him being a baby face. Yeah, I guess, you know, you tied in from, like, the 80s, Hulk Hogan was the ultimate baby face, squeaky clean and all that. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, times times have changed. Right. And and I feel like, you know, with that, so so the characters had to change, too, which, you know, from Hogan in the 80s to Austin in the 90s. Yep. And I guess what's your thoughts on the shades of gray for the characters? No, see, that's not, that's, that's what I'm saying is the whole thing moved that direction, moved in the darker end. That's the, like, being a tweener, being shades of gray or whatever, that's a poor, in my opinion, way to put it. All that's happening is just the baby faces, instead of acting like you said, like the squeaky clean, they aren't. They aren't being heelish, just everybody's, the faces are acting more... You know, they're swearing or whatever. They're beating people up. The heels are staying that way. It's not, I don't know. I hate the term tweener and I hate the idea. That's all it is. is They're just acting differently. Okay, so you feel like the heels and faces should be clearly defined. 
Yeah, it's they shouldn't be acting the same. Okay, like okay. it's okay. It's okay for people like Steve Austin and The Rock or whatever to use insults and use swear swearing or whatever, but the heels should not be doing the same thing. Like they should just be doing more on the heel spectrum. Okay, so make, makes sense. So so are you so the way is if the baby faces are acting heelish, the heel should heal it up even more. Yes, exactly. Okay. And that and that's what I think worked in the attitude era in the WWF is that's what they did. Okay. Yeah, which which I can see now, yeah, which I do I fully agree with you on that 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 faces and heels should be different and if the heels are gonna play a heelish role like said, the heels should heal it up even more. Right. Okay, I'll go to my next my next point on page one oh five. WCW would need the fresh young talent as it was slowly becoming apparent to everyone, save those in uh, save those in charge, that guys like Hogan and Piper just couldn't deliver in the ring as they could. I guess I want to get your thoughts on when should WCW help build up the new stars and get them into the main event picture? Since everybody knows that Hogan Prince shat on all the younger talent being brought up and taken in a spot. Right. They always should have been. That's That should be something that you are always thinking about is how are we um, building up new talent and when will they be taking over? That's something you should always be thinking about. Then uh, what's your thoughts on Hogan having that creative control uh, and not wanting to give up his spot to let newer talent have a chance at the, at the, at the main event? pitcher yeah well it's human nature wanting to keep your spot that's why you need a um need an editor that's like no it's time it's it's time for you to be done you're you're moving aside you know i guess kind of tied in with the whole john cena thing with me not really liking cena you know it's time you know since cena moved down to the card to become the U- u.s champion it's nice change of pace to kind of let the younger guys have a shot at the world title and being the main event pitcher while still having the main event stars like Cena still in the still in the pitcher but not headlighting like Hogan always had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, then what's your thoughts on Roddy Piper and Alcatraz? Oh my gosh, insanity. Roddy Piper and Alcatraz is crazy. It doesn't make sense. He's like escaping from a prison that's been closed for 40 years. I don't get it at all, but it's crazy. And I don't know. That's all I can say is it's just in pure insanity. <laughs> Something that I felt like was pure insanity was WCW booking. Dennis Rodman in 1997 and signing him to a match with Hulk Hogan at, at Bash of the Beach against Lux Luger and the Giant. What's your thoughts, since you would know more than me, what's your thoughts on WCW capitalizing on Robin's popularity in mainstream culture and trying to bring them into WCW? I thought it was a great idea. I thought jumping in on Dennis Rodman in 1997 was fantastic. Now they probably used him too much 
in the following years, especially with, you know, his clear drug problems and things like that. But in 1997, uh, it was an awesome idea. He was at the height of his popularity. Um, the Bulls had just won the, let me think, 97, the first of three championships in a row with him. And, um, yeah, he has obviously has the the bad boy reputation, you know, bad as I want to be. And I think it's okay to use, um, you know, celebrities once in a while um, in a match role. And I, th- I, th- I don't know. I thought the use was really good. And what's your thoughts on the book, you know, the Bash at the Beach main event on Luger able to score victory over – putting Hogan in a torture rack. Yeah, good idea, I guess. So what, Luger did put him in the torture yeah, rack? Yeah, Luger and yeah. yeah, Luger and Giant won by making Hogan submit to the torture rack. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like we were saying before that, that old, yeah, that like you said, that brings the fans in from who weren't maybe pro, pro wrestling fans, you know, the fans of basketball and get them into ordering a pay-per-view and seeing what WCW had to offer. And it was also great to kind of finally see another wrinkle, another dent a dent in the NW armor on having yes. Luger picked up the victory. Yep, yep. And, like, those type of matches, tag team matches, like mixed matches, whatever you want to call it, is, a, is a, you know, textbook way to give your challenger a victory to set up a future match to show that he can beat the champion. So, yeah. Which would, you know, lead to a Luger and Hogan feud, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But I guess I'll kick it to you on few few uh, of your notes. Oh, right. Well, is would it be accurate that Hogan wasn't on pay-per-view for four months from Super Brawl to Bash at the Beach? I guess I, I don't. Well, I can Google search WCW pay-per-views in 97 just to, just to see. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but, like, if so, that's crazy. And I thought that was just terrible. Um, yeah, going forward in the summer, which you foreshadowed was at the week before Road Wild in August – Luger won the championship, and I thought that he needed much more than a six-day reign because, you know, a lot of times historians or authorities in wrestling, <laughs> David Meltzer, <laughs> say that Luger is a big failure or whatever, but he wasn't – it isn't a real sport. He wasn't the one who chose to lose the title in six days, you know, <laughs> Um give him some time with it. Like that's not his doing that made him lose it in six days. Like that's a terrible booking idea. Yeah. Uh, to, to what are we were ta- just talking about before Hogan was at the uncensored pay-per-view. Okay. Then he and wasn't, then, then he, he wasn't on pay-per-view until the bash at the beach. Okay. Right. So yeah, then cause he was, let me uh, go back and he was in the, Weird, it's he, he was at NWO sold out, him and Giant had a WCW title match, then at Super Brawl he fought Roddy Piper, 
and he okay. beat Piper. And at Uncensored, it was Team NWO, consisting of Hogan, Hall, Nash, and Savage, beat Team WCW, the Giant Luger, and the Steiners, and defeating Team Piper of Piper, Jarrett, Benoit, and McMichael. Oh, God, Team Piper. And that's where he had those weirdo, like, Weird tryout matches with him and Reigns and Earthquake and others. Oh, awful. Yes, you're right. Well, yeah. yeah to, I just, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to get to the uh, your Luger note you were talking about, but... Um, yeah, I guess I agree with you on that, that Luger needed more than a six-day six title run. And like you said, it wasn't Luger's choice on dropping it right away. I do remember that. I think it was on the 100th episode of Nitro that Luger won the title. And I remember, I guess I know I'll think of it, I do remember watching that Nitro. I do remember watch, you know, watching it live and being excited to finally see a WCW guy get one up on the NWO and beat Hogan and finally bring back the... World Heavyweight Title to WCW, right? And it was heart wrenching to find out the following week on Nitro that Hogan won the title again that Saturday night at at Road Wild or Hogwild or whatever, and right. NWO had control of the world title again. Yeah, well, it's just like I said; it's just like pulling the, yeah, the wool out, pull, yeah. pulling the rug out from underneath them. Like, and it's like you said; it's also pulling the rug out from underneath the fans. You know, it's just, uh, that's such a bad decision. Because if you wanted to pull the title away from Luger right away, why not have him hold it till whatever their September paper he was, uh, War Games or whatever, to at least give him at least a month title run to kind of help build WCW up before just taking them out right away in less than a week. Right, or why, why not earlier in the year when... Hogan wants to go away for a few months or whatever. Why wouldn't like Sting cost him the title? Yeah, have, have Luger win the title at uncensored and hold it, you know, defend it against NWO guys up to Road Wild and have Hogan beat him again then for the exactly. Title. Yes, yes. To at least, yeah, to at least let WCW kind of a chance to you know be number one against the NWO. Then yeah, have NWO take it back from them and and all that. Yeah, because that you know we were talking about that, but like WCW never got a leg up, never. And even when it seemed like they would, something would happen. Something would happen where they wouldn't, you know, where it got switched back, or the NWO wins it back, or whatever. That so it's like, oh, you know, you how you thought. Your favorites were going to come up on top. Nope, sorry, just kidding. You know, in words of Spaceballs, fooled you. Yeah. Oh, exactly, exactly. You're totally right. And I guess I want to get your thoughts on before we get to your next topic. What's your thoughts on the career of Arn Anderson? Well, he's one of one of the best. One of the best. I'd say he, um, you know, just in general, probably one of the best promos of all time. A great uh, wrestler in the ring. Um, integral part to the Four Horsemen. A great Fantastic. Te- a great technician. Yep, everything. And I I know this past week at work when I'm listening to the podcast, I guess 
when the Four Horsemen finally came together back in the mid '80s. I guess Arn Anderson was only in, was only a wrestler. I think, if I remember correctly, for like three years. Was it, yeah in the business for only three years before then before the Horsemen came together and that yeah. boggle that blue boggle my mind blew my mind because how great Arn Anderson was only three years of the business. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. felt I felt like Arn Anderson was in the business a lot longer before the NW or not NW before the Horsemen came together with just because of how like said like you said how great he was on the mic how great he was. You know, as a ring general, as a mat technician, I I was just surprised how quick he caught on and how great he was. Yeah, I think it's also the fact that he's always looked forty five years old too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> if I go bald, well, I'm happy. I'm not as bald as Arn Anderson was my age. Yeah, it's true. He's probably younger than you. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you know, with Arn Anderson right around the. No, middle of '96, he went down to a career-ending injury. I can't remember offhand what he went down down oh, for. I want to say it was his back. Okay, yeah. Then, yeah. Then he Double A came out and on Nitro and announced his retirement. And I'll kick it to you on to to you for your next point. Right, and then and you know he handed his spot to. Um, to Kurt Hennig, and then the next week the NWO did a parody, and it was just dumb. Uh, Nash portrayed uh, Arn Anderson in the in the the parody. He um, made fun of his supposed alcoholism. Um, it was just not funny. It went on way too long. Again, like I've been harping on, the NWO never got their comeuppance for that, and it it just wasn't good. Yeah, because I do remember watching at least the NWO commercial of that spot, uh, how Nash was ragging on AA for, I'm not going to give you any spot. I'm not talking about my liver spot. I'm not <laughs> talking about my dog name spot. I'm giving you my spot. Yeah. And I feel kind of bad for laughing at that commercial. Yeah. But I do feel like it's awful because I, if I remember correctly, they did that parody in, I think somewhere in North Carolina. Mm, that might be right. And how obviously it was Ric Flair country. And if I remember correctly, originally they were going to book, you know, Flair and the other guys of the horsemen running in and attacking, the NWO for doing that, and Nash Perch exonated that idea. Right, yeah, and like I said, they just never got their, never, never got their payback on it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel as bad for enjoying that NWO parody commercial as bad if I would have known, you know, right, you know, right before, you know, right, right after the where the commercial ended, the horse did run, run down and get the retribution. Yeah, but yeah, because I think it is sad that they were making making light of tra- the tragic ending of Arn Anderson's career. Yeah, it was just bad. It was just bad. What else is bad is Hogan always defending his title against Piper. <laughs> I just wonder. I was just was wondering why they kept going back to that well. There had to have been other people to go for 
um, for title matches. It seems like he's the only one who he's ever defending against. You know something, brother? There's only one guy I'm willing to give my spot to, Jack. It's not Arn Henderson, brother. It has to be Roddy Piper, brother, brother, brother. It's another 50-year-old brother. Brother. Which I guess makes me laugh. This other 50-year-old Roddy Piper, brother. Which makes me laugh because, you know, like we talked about, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago about how Sway Colgan never really wanted new stars to have the chance at at the main event pitcher, at the main event spot and all that. Yeah. And that made me think about, you know, with your comment about Piper and why is Hogan always going up against him. Like, it seemed like Hogan, like, well, I guess he said it's human nature, but it's like, well, obviously Hogan must have trusted Piper enough to keep main eventing shows with him. But I just find it silly that why not give people, newer people a chance. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, My next quote I have is from page 115. WCW had everything going for them, and it was about to get even better. Bereshev would soon sign the hottest free agent in, res- uh, in the history of wrestling, and when he did, it would, it would no doubt be the final nail in the coffin of Vince McMahon in the WWF. And it sure was, seemed that it might be. Which would, WWF would, was pretty darn close to folding there. Yeah, which would be, obviously, the signing of Bret Hart, which we talked yes. about last week. Yeah. That you know, Vince signed Brett to a twenty-year contract, and Vince wasn't able to to keep with paying Brett the high mo- high dollar contracts. So told Brett to go and renegotiate with WCW to see if he can get the contract that or the offer that Bischoff gave him the year before, if not a better deal. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Yep. Yep. Then, uh, which leads me to my next quote from page 116. Yep. Uh, one of the provisions of Brett's 20-year contract with the WWF was that he had reasonable creative control of his character. Therefore, as champion, he had the right to decide whom he lose the belt to and when he would do so. And I guess I really didn't want to talk about it much earlier when you asked about or talked about Terry Taylor's quote about Hulk Hogan. But I guess I want to get your thoughts on what do you deem as "quote unquote" reasonable creative control? I don't know. Uh, I guess like I don't know. Well, I guess something that doesn't affect the storyline, like may or maybe just like having input into into your character. I don't know. Yeah, because to me, that key that keyword the major the word that pops out to me is reasonable yeah oh and definitely i'll say i noted before that um i was a philosophy major in college and to me reasonable is different to everybody right you, know, you have a different idea of what reasonable is to me and i do i do to compare to mabadi and mabadi <laughs> has a different idea of reasonable to mother hills and so on and so forth <laughs> Yes. So, I guess, do you feel like it's right to give the wrestlers their choice on who they drop the title to and when? Uh, I don't think they get a choice. They can say, I'd prefer not to. <laughs> yeah, I guess, to me, like you said, I feel like you should have a input on who they drop the title to and how. And I just feel like the... Reasonable creative control in Brett's case 
find, I find it I find it silly because how Brett Prince, which I'll get to here in a moment, but how I find it silly that Brett Prince refused to drop the title to Sean and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess you know, before I get to that quotable with Sean, could the champion quote unquote hold the belt hostage? to get what he wants under the terms they agreed to? Yeah, I don't think they should be able to. Okay. And then uh, my, my next quote from yeah, page 116. For months, a very real rivalry had developed between Brett and one of McMahon's other favorite performers, Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Michaels also had a great deal of power backstage, seemed to take delight in pissing Brett off at every turn. <laughs> One time, he went so far to allege to proclaim on air, no less, that Brett was in the midst of an uh, extramarital affair with popular WWF diva Sonny. This infiltrated Hart, not to mention his wife, and it led to an infamous backstage fight between the two men that ended with Sean temporarily quitting after a huge chunk of hair was pulled out of his scalp. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Sean really was an ass during this time. And he, 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 he was pretty awful. And he would he would admit to that, too. Yeah, well. I guess I want to get your thoughts on, I guess, you know, the, their back, that backstage brawl slash hissy, hissy fits that those two had. Because yeah, to, me, to I, me, it sounds like it's high school all over again. Oh, my gosh. Be professional, guys. You're 30-something-year-old men. Act like it. It's awful. Sean was being such a baby, which led to, you know, Hart kind of responding in in kind, just kind of doing the same thing. It's just, yeah. And I think it it goes back to, you know, we were talking about management, right? Before we were talking about being, having someone over the the top of you who kind of can control what's happening. And... Vince, by all accounts, was so far up Sean's butt in the 90s that he would let him do whatever he wanted. And I think it's all got to start there. And it's got to, you know, be like, you stop being an ass or you're suspended or whatever. And, uh, yeah. Do you feel like, I guess that leads me to my next question, which you pretty much answered, though. Should both men have have faced some kind of backlash in regards to their storylines, characters, on how they acted backstage? Definitely, definitely. I guess like what you said that, you know, Vince should a uh, quick kiss at Michaels' rear end and punch support, letting him, give him, well, yeah, like you said, Vince punched a lot, Sean act the way he did, and like how dare somebody else call out how Sean's acting. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and all that, and yeah, I felt like I'd agree with you that Vince should have, reprimanded Michaels in some way and suspended him or not let him win the world title or whatever else because Michaels is throwing a hissy fit because like like we were referring to with our jobs earlier that if I would throw a hissy fit at work, my boss would either say, okay, I'm sending you home with all, you know, for us the night and you're not getting paid for it and we'll call you back when we want you to come back and it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be never. So yeah. shape up if you want to come back and and all that. And I don't feel like Vince did that to Sean. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I agree. And to my next quote, which I which I have to. 
open up another can of main event status mellow yellow. <laughs> Get my throat all ready for this next big quote. Oh my. On page 119. Okay. It became known as the most fam- famous double cross in wrestling history. Oh yeah. Brett had Brett had been with his former employer for 14 years. This is only two shows in that time, and he'd done everything he he could to help the WWF. Callously, they turned their backs on him. It was a moment that would live forever in the minds of all those who saw it, a memory reinforced by the footage we played over and over on WWF television in an effort to make fans believe that Vince had done the right thing. Now, what are you talking about? The Montreal Screwdown. <laughs> What do you see? You tagged around it. What and what is that? If well, obviously, if people don't know, uh, at, at Survivor Series nineteen ninety seven, that it was Brett's last night with the company, and Brett did not want to lose the WWF title to Shawn Michaels, as noted earlier in the quotes, you know, in the podcast that that Shawn's been acting like a child and act like they're in high school again, and Shawn wasn't a a jerk off to Brett, to put it kindly, and and Brett was said that yeah, I'm willing to, you know, put you over. And Sean Prince looked looked at him like, well, I'm not willing to do that to you, which pissed Brett off, which made Brett not want to lose the title to Sean. He was willing to lose it to I think either Ken Shamrock, Mankind, or Steve Austin at Survivor Series, or just drop it, or just come on Raw the next night and forfeit the title. He was oh, going to... Also, he's also he changed it that he would drop it as long as it wasn't in Canada. Yeah. So he would do it at MSG the um, Saturday after Survivor Series. Um, the two there were two shows during the week after Survivor Series, or even he would do it at the December pay per view in a four way. But he wouldn't lose to Michaels in that four-way. Um, but McMahon didn't want that because that would be after his WCW contract started, which would mean that either he could appear on WCW TV as the World Wrestling Federation champion, which would be done for WWF, or even if he promised not to go on TV they could still say, well, we have signed the champion. He is ours and he will be here next Monday. So he didn't want that. He didn't want the December pay-per-view option. Um, and so it led to so, what happened. So you want to expand on that? So so the, the Vince and Vince was trying to figure out ways to ways make Brett drop the title to Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series. And I can't remember exactly who I think has been credited to Triple H came up with the idea of just doing a screw job ending. On yeah. Not letting or let Prince having Sean and Brett figure out what they're gonna do with the match. And it came Brett came up with the idea of letting Sean put him in the sharpshooter. And that's when I wanna say Triple H, but I can't remember for sure who came up with the idea of why not just when Sean put Brett in the sharpshooter just call for the bell. And and claim that Brett Gave up, which he never did. Yep. So, obviously, Vince, Triple H, Sean, and Earl Hebner, I think it may have been one or two other people, may have known that was going to happen. And when 
Vince was you know, came down you know was watching ringside when you know during the match and yeah when Sean put Brett and the sharpshooter both Vince and Earl called for the bell and I guess you can hear Earl say ring the in bell. No, Vince said that. Vince said that. Vince, Vince said. well you could hear one of them say you know ring the blimpin' bell and all yep. that and I guess you know instead of us booking or whatever else that that whole angle i guess to me the question arises did vince mcmahon do the right thing no no okay why do you feel that way because it's that's not solid business practice uh because you're sending the wrong message to the people who work for you uh there were many other directions he could have gone. I'm not going to fantasy book the directions he could have gone in, but he could have gone many different directions without just doing that. Um, or, I mean, he could have said, Bret Hart, you will drop the title to Michaels, and that's it, because I'm the boss. Though, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, he could have just said that, and he could have said, you're doing it. And, and he could have laid it out to him by saying, you're going to do it, or we will find a way to take it off of you. You know, I I will find a way to screw you. Is and you know he could have just done that. I guess I agree with you on that. That they should have just laid down the law and either yeah, like I said, either let Brett do what he wants and you know have him drop it. You know the following week on you know Raw or MSG House Show or the next month on Pay Per View or. Like you said, just put his foot down and say, this is what we're doing, Brett, if you like it or not. Yep. And yep. Like, I guess I like what you said, you know, to help Brett, you know, this is what we're going to do. If you like it or not, we're going to find a way to get it off you. If it yeah. means screwing you over or if it means, you know, bringing it to court, this is what we're going to do, Brett. So I guess I'll let you describe. Or describe the, if I remember correctly, the go home edition of Monday Nitro for Starkey ninety seven. Oh, the the NWO Nitro. Yeah. Terrible. Um, the first like half hour is the set being torn down. The rest is uh, the NWO just kind of like saying how awesome they are. We got. Eric Bischoff giving Hulk Hogan a ring like he's proposing <laughs> to him, which is just like literally surreal to think about. Like, what? <laughs> like, oh, wait, Mr. Beverly Hills, I uh, forgot to mention you, but I have this ring to give you for the podcast. <laughs> In the shape of the WCW world title. <laughs> like, exactly, right? If you were to tell somebody who's never seen wrestling, like, yeah, on the Nitro before the biggest pay-per-view of the year, Eric Bischoff got down on his knee like he was proposing to Hulk Hogan and gave him a ring that was in the shape of the world title. They'd be like, what in the hell are you talking about? That's insane. And it was. It was so weird. And well, how does this build to the final match? I guess to, inter, to inter, inter, interject, I guess it'd be like for this past WrestleMania 31, be like Triple H coming down the ring and get on one knee and giving Brock Lesnar a ring in shape of the <laughs> WWF title. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which makes me laugh. I know on the our correspondence between with each other, you asked me if I ever seen NWO Nitro and I haven't, and I'm happy I haven't. 
I don't know if I ever want to see it because because I thought I heard like Bischoff and Hogan had like three in-ring promos during the night, and it was just yeah Bischoff just puckering up to Hogan's rear end and all that. It was just absolutely horrible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, man. It was awful. Everything just so crazy. The ring, man. The ring. Yes. Which brings <laughs> us to start King 1987. The main event finish came and happened. And uh, since you had me kind of ex- talk about what happened with that Survivor Series in 97, you kind of want yes. to explain what happened at the main event of Start King 97? Sure, we'll do. Um, so in that match has been built up for an entire year. Their idea is that um, in the match, it goes as, as it went or whatever, um, with Hogan as the heel carrying most of the match and, you know, carrying the heat, whatever. Um, and as the final uh, move would happen, he'd, he'd get on, he'd make a pin on Sting, and uh, Nick Patrick would do a quick count. Um, it would seem as if... Hogan has retained. Uh, then Bret Hart would come out, say, this is not happening again. We're not doing this like it happened last month. Um, he would somehow, question mark, because he's the owner of the company, restart the match, and then Sting would would win. Uh, the only hitch in that giddy-up there was that the count was not fast. Uh, it was... A regular count. Yep, it it looked regular. It, if if anything, it looked slow, and um, it looked it ended up making Sting kind of look like a um, like a loser, like he needed Hart's help, uh, that he should have lost the match and and all that. It just ended up really really going down not the way it should have. Yeah, because I thought. You know, I read maybe in Bischoff's book, maybe in Hogan's book, that, you know, uh, Patrick was told to do a fast count, then supposedly Hogan told him to do a yeah. slow count, then Patrick just decided to, okay, I might as well just do a regular count, <laughs> which I find to be silly. I guess, you know, I think you kind of mentioned it. I felt like that regular count hurt Stan. Oh, yeah. And I felt like it pretty much was killed that year-long angle of, you know, year-long plus angle of him not wrestling and him coming back one in one match with Hogan for the title. Right, yeah, and how, you know, however awesome that year-long storyline was that just got flushed right down the turlet. (laughs) And I felt like, you know, kind of with, tied in in with both of us bringing up the points with Hogan and and. Heart having creative control. I feel like situations like this is why pro wrestlers shouldn't have total total creative control or what Brett had, reasonable creative control, because yeah. I felt like egos get in the way and they don't want to be booked to look weak even though Hogan dominated the match and all that. I just feel, feel like it's any kind of creative control is silly, and I can understand input, but they shouldn't have the final say like what Hogan had or reasonable con- creative control. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. 
uh, just because your your spot is is what you have, and uh, you know they want they want that they want to keep that. Uh, so if you give them the chance to, that's what they do. That's what anyone would do. And obviously, you know, in my looking at the notes, you pretty much answered my question. I'm going to ask how. I want to remember it. How should the match have been booked? So I thought Starcade 97 should have been the end of the NWL. Um, I thought Sting should go over clean. Um, I thought there should have been a War Games match of the Outsiders, Savage, um, Henning, and uh, one other person. Uh me Bischoff, I don't know, whatever. Versus Flair, Luger, Giant, and the Steiners. Um, the face team should have won. Uh, that should have been, and, and like the stipulation should have been like NWO disbands, whatever. Um, then Sting should have went over clean. Then now this is different from my notes. I would have Hart come out challenge Sting for the title. Uh, and there you go. There 1998 is. Uh, it ends with the biggest star in wrestling coming out and challenging um, challenging the champion. I wouldn't have had him ref the Bischoff or Zabisco match. That wouldn't have been on the card. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess so kind of tied in with your thoughts, I guess, yeah, your, your, how you would like to see things booked. I right. guess... I would also like to see Brett come out and yeah, challenge Stin as a world champion and say, you know, I got screwed out of the world title I held. And yep. I am the rightful world champion. And yes. I, and I feel like the title you hold is the, cool. is the real world title. And I you want it. Yep. You want it legitimately. Now I want it. Yep. Yeah, that would have been so good. So good. And, and yeah, I felt like that would have been a hell of a lot better than what did happen. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. Gosh, yes. And I think it really would have set up 98 well because then you have, you know, you have Hogan who now, I think I'd still keep him healed, but now we got him trying to regain his spot, but without his crew, without his cronies, um, you know, see how he can do that. Maybe you know, he works more nefariously trying to cheat his way there, whatever. Um, yeah, I think well, it just would have had so many different places you could have gone. Yeah, kind of like what I mentioned last week when Hogan turned heel. If NWO would have ended at start K97 and, like you said, kept Hogan as a heel but by himself, uh, you know, with Hogan turning heel in 96, that was a fresh coat of paint that Hogan needed. I feel mm-hmm. like without the NWO and Hogan staying heel, it would be, I guess, another refreshing of the, pa- the paint on Hogan's character of him being a heel and him, him had to figure things out on his own and not having all his cronies behind him to help him cheat. Right. Uh-huh. And I know we'll talk about it some in in in, that, in the next podcast in 98, but I just feel like the whole Starcade 97 mid-event was a total cluster poop, was a total <laughs> cluster fart because I guess we'll, we'll just talk about it next week and I don't yes. want to foreshadow anything, but... Because you know that yeah, that should exactly. be all. And we'll just we'll talk about it next week. Yep. So we we'll get well, into So yeah, yeah we, before we get into, before we get into the plugs, Mister Beverly Hills, do you have any final thoughts of the year that was nineteen ninety seven? 
Uh, squandered opportunities for WCW. Um, I think that's the that's kind of the moral of the story. Squandered opportunities. What are your final thoughts on 97? I guess, you know, like mentioned, creative control, mm. either reasonable <laughs> or total, or <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't happen. You know, we discussed, we, we found out multiple points where any kind of creative control is silly. They should have input mm-hmm. on things, but not the ultimate say. Yeah. I feel like, I, I guess that was the year 1997, that creative control shouldn't be there. And we outlined a few ideas why it shouldn't be, you know, with in both companies. You right. know, 90, 96 looked, you know, end of 96 looked so good. End of 97, not a, I don't feel like as good as what it was the year before. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would totally agree with you. And, and what you're talking about was a big reason why that creative control stuff. So we might as well get into the plugs for the podcast. Yes. You guys can... Check us out on our website, maineventstatus.com. Again, our website is maineventstatus.com. You guys can also listen to us on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com backslash radio. That's all one word, soundcloud.com backslash radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they hear us on iTunes? Well, on iTunes, search out Main Event Status Radio. So, yeah, hit the subscribe button, rate us, review us, because we're tired of what, Mr. Beverly Hills? Oh, God, that saucy attitude. Of Jim that Ross. saucy attitude of Jim Ross of the Ross Report. We are tired of his ra- his Rossy saucy attitude on the Ross Report, <laughs> Gorilla. <laughs> you guys can also interact with us on social media, facebook.com slash main event status radio daddy-o. That's all one word, not daddy-o. But fa- Facebook.com slash Made Event Status Radio. Uh, like us there, interact with us, talk to us. We would like to chat with you when Mr. Beverly Hills is on Sunset Boulevard cruising the bruising <laughs> in the backseat of his convertible, by the way, when he tells his driver to drive around when he's reading the death of WCW on his iPad. And I'll interact with you on my breaks at, uh, in the overnight hours and all that. Yes. And you guys can also interact with us on the Twitter machine, Mr. Beverly Hills. How can they interact with you? I'm at Beverly Hills MES, and I love waking up in the morning, and now school's done, so not going to school to do it, but now waking up in the morning and seeing what the dirty dog has wrought on Twitter overnights. That's like my favorite thing is when I wake up at you know, six or whatever. And I go and I, and I load Twitter and I look, Oh, there's dirty dog being dirty, doing, doing his dirty deeds on Twitter. And I usually have an email and all that kind of stuff. And I love it. Love it. And you can interact with me on the Twitter machine at dirty dike M E S that's dog as in D A W G dirty dog M E S on Twitter. So, 1997 is in the books, Mr. Beverly Hills. Closed. Chapter 4 will be next week. Let's yes. turn the page of 1997, Gorilla. Let's do it. For Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll catch you guys next time in 1998. I'm in Alcatraz and I'm coming for you, dog! <laughs> Show, ladies and gentlemen.